0: The biggest story in the basketball world right now, which I know many of you are very plugged into, but I'll, I'll recap for us anyway, so we're all on the same page, uh, is one that that is probably pretty familiar to many of us, vaccine mandates. Specifically, the fact that while over 90%, I've seen 95% maybe, of NBA players are vaccinated, which is admittedly a little shy of the 99% of WNBA players, but still, the players' union is resisting a mandate for their members. And so there are two players, including one of the biggest stars in the league, who, as of now, literally can't play more than half of their team's games because their home arenas are located in New York City and San Francisco, where the cities have forbidden unvaccinated people from entering arenas. It's unclear how this is going to resolve itself with the season right around the corner, at least at this point. The player in San Francisco got a so-called religious exemption denied by the league. And who oh boy, if you want to get me worked up, the idea that Christians would ask their churches to use the name of God to validate their poor understandings of basic science and statistics in order to allow them to selfishly prioritize what they believe to be their own best interests at the expense of the most vulner- vulnerable around them. Yeah, that'll, that'll get me worked up. Because I'm sorry, point me to the relevant biblical material here. It's funny, at least in some of the circles I grew up in, the idea of not taking the Lord's name in vain was a fairly regular concern, usually with the application of not saying something like, God damn it, or even avoiding language of a more, well, scatological than religious nature, let's say. But the direct application of not taking the Lord's name in vain in the biblical context wasn't swearing in the saying bad words when you hit your thumb with a hammer variety. It was swearing in the I swear to God that I will do X, Y, or Z thing when you have no intention of doing X, Y, or Z thing. The swearing to God that this thing I am saying is definitely true when it isn't true. You know, like swearing that Yahweh forbids you from getting a shot in your arm when Yahweh does no such thing. There's lots of pastors, by the way, who swear that Yahweh definitely for sure requires them to opt out of social security payments in order to save a few thousand bucks a year too. But that's another story. Meredith last week walked us through the main purpose of the Torah in the Old Testament, what is often translated the law. But as she said, it's not a legal document in the sense that we would mean by the word legal today. And so it's probably better translated teaching or instruction, principles for living as a holy nation in the ancient Near East. Why was Israel to live as a holy nation? Because they were supposed to make God known. And Yahweh was a holy God, unlike the other gods. Holy means set apart, different, separated out. In a religious context, in the ancient world especially, it would often carry the added idea of set apart for the gods, dedicated to the gods, separated from normal life in order to be used by the gods. But when applied to Yahweh, it means something just slightly different. Yahweh is set apart from the other gods, different from them. Yahweh doesn't operate like they do. And so God's people, Israel, need to operate differently from the nations that serve those gods. And so much of the teachings you get in the Torah are designed for that specific purpose, to make sure that Israel operated in a fundamentally different way than the nations surrounding them, in a way that was in harmony with and reflective of Yahweh's character, so that God would be made known, as we've been saying in this series. When we look at holiness in this way, we might notice that holiness in our culture, has taken on some of the wrong connotations. We use holy to mean concerned about getting everything just right, usually in an uptight, overly restrictive sort of way. We use the phrase holier than thou to mean a person who arrogantly looks down on those who don't do enough of the right things. But, well, arrogantly looking down on someone who doesn't measure up to your standards doesn't sound much like separating out from the way of the nations the surrounding culture and how they do things. That sounds like living exactly like all the other nations to me. Being holy though, doesn't mean not saying naughty words. It means not treating God as just another tool to get what you want. A name you can sign on a form to try and get out of your obligations to society, whether with vaccines or taxes. Being holy means living set apart. Not any physically monastic apartness. But in the sense of living a life of putting trust in God, of following Jesus, a life that reflects God's character, not the character of the idols that everyone else chases after. And this misunderstanding of holiness can affect how we read one of the key aspects of the Old Testament, the warnings of judgment, and then the reality of judgment that comes Israel's way. Because when we think of holiness as an uptight adherence to seemingly arbitrary rules and regulations, then when God says, be holy as I am holy, and then warns of judgment to come if Israel is not holy, we read that as God getting real mad if they get the little things wrong, those arbitrary rules and regulations, as if the judgment that comes on Israel and that we worked through at length when we went through the book of Jeremiah together, as if that's because they carried too heavy a burden on the Sabbath or they mixed the seeds in their fields, or they didn't properly honor their fathers and mothers. God becomes an arbitrary and capricious tyrant who comes down hard on us for any slip or failure. And that doesn't sound much like the God who, as the Old Testament tells us repeatedly, is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. But those little details aren't what leads to judgment because they aren't fundamentally what holiness is is all about. Holiness, as the Bible talks about it, is a much bigger deal. Deuteronomy 30 puts it like this in a speech that the Israelites uh, heard as they approached the promised land. So this is from Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of Yahweh your God that I am commanding you today by loving Yahweh your God, walking in his ways, And observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and Yahweh your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess." I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving Yahweh your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days so that you may live in the land that Yahweh swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. The choice is a binary one, life or death, love Yahweh or bow down to idols. The choice is one of fundamental orientation. Will you choose to live in harmony with and reflective of God's character? Or will you live like all the other nations? Will you be holy or like everyone else? And the small things, the individual (laughs) commandments, decrees, and ordinances, as this passage puts it, They are included in that choice. But falling short here or there doesn't make you unholy. What makes you unholy is the choice to say, ah, the hell with it. I'll just live like all the nations. As this passage says, to be led astray, to bow down to other gods. John Golden Gay puts it this way in a passage where he's talking about the idea of sin using one of the images uh, that the Old Testament uses to describe it as falling short or missing a target. In a religious context, he writes, it implies falling short of Yahweh's expectations. Israel is a people who fall short, miss the target. Their aim and their walk go astray. This does not imply that they do their best but don't quite make it. Failure is an active matter. It involves failing even to aim at the target, deliberately setting aside Yahweh's standards and expectations. Falling short is what happens when we choose to be just like all the other nations, instead of being holy. We saw this in Jeremiah. The words of judgment that he spoke were not because of minor ethical lapses. They were that Israel had fundamentally switched allegiances, bowing down to the gods of the nations, living unjustly and oppressively, looking to the neighboring countries for safety and security. They had started living, in other words, just like all the others. They had ceased to be set apart, holy. They had stopped making God known. And so God must put a stop to things, bringing judgment and exile as the natural consequences of those choices. As we said then, choosing to walk the path away from God is choosing to walk a path that leads where it leads. And where it leads is not to life, but death. And as we said, then God can only allow injustice and oppression to go on for so long before doing something about it for the sake of the oppressed and the vulnerable. But these ideas that we've been exploring in this series, they add another layer onto this. If God's mission from the very beginning has been that the whole world would be in harmony with and reflective of God's character... And that part of that means God partnering with humanity to make that happen. If God chooses Abraham and the people of Israel to be a people that is holy, like God is holy, who are to live differently than all the other nations so as to make God known, because God is different from the other gods, then what happens when Israel stops being holy? What God are they making known then? Because if God's representatives have stopped representing God and are instead living like everyone else, then the message they're sending is clear. Never mind. Yahweh is just like all the other gods. The problem with Israel turning to idolatry and power worship like the nations around them is not just that Israel stops making God known in the positive sense, that they've stopped witnessing to God's power and goodness, or God's compassion and mercy, or God's care for the oppressed and the vulnerable. It's that they have begun misrepresenting Yahweh in the negative sense. They are making a false God known. This is how the prophet Ezekiel puts it from Ezekiel chapter 5. And this is verse 5 that I'm starting with. Thus says Yahweh God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations with countries all around her, but she has rebelled against my ordinances and my statutes, becoming more wicked than the nations and the countries all around her rejecting my ordinances and not following my statutes. Therefore, thus says Yahweh God, because you are more turbulent than the nations that are all around you and have not followed my statutes or kept my ordinances, but have acted according to the ordinances of the nations that are all around you. Therefore, thus says Yahweh God, I, I myself am coming against you. I will execute judgments among you in the sight of the nations. And because of all your abominations, I will do to you what I have never yet done, and the like of which I will never do again. Ezekiel, we need to stress again, is not talking about the little stuff when he says my ordinances and statutes, but rather the whole block of them. You haven't been a holy people. You've been a people just like all the others, like the other nations, whose ordinances and statutes they have lived by, according to Ezekiel. And in so doing, the God you are making known to all the nations, to all the people around you, is not Yahweh, but some not God. And so it is God to do. When your representative stops representing you, you can't just let them go on being your representative, right? Otherwise, the people, they're going to assume that that's what you are like too, since that's what your representative is like. I was listening to a podcast recently where some business leadership expert type was talking about culture, the culture of an organization. And they said, the true culture of an organization is not the values they put up on the wall or the ideals they claim. The true culture of an organization is what gets tolerated. What gets tolerated. Because if you tolerate something, if you allow it to keep on going without being addressed, then the other employees the customers, whoever is interacting with that organization, they see what gets tolerated. And they say, oh, I guess that's okay here. I guess that's what this organization is really about. God is in a situation like that with Israel. How much can God tolerate when God's representatives are presenting the world with a false god? One who isn't like Yahweh, but is just like all the other false gods. How can the mission move forward when God's people are reflecting a false God to the world around them? We've talked before about the so-called rise of the nuns. That is that especially in younger generations, the percentage is growing and growing of people who reject any religious descriptor and just answer that they have no religion in particular. In other words, our culture is increasingly rejecting God. But are they? Are they rejecting Yahweh? the actual Jesus, or are they rejecting the false God reflected by the church? Those who claim to represent God. Because in the conversations Meredith and I have had with the young people we knew from youth groups past, who are now squarely in the nothing in particular camp, conversations I know many of you have had similar ones of as well, as they describe their reasons for leaving church and not returning, many of them are not describing Yahweh. Many are describing a false God that their church made known to them, a God that was just as power-hungry and judgmental as all the others, or a God who worships violence and power in the name of individual liberty and rights, or a God who hates their friends and sometimes themselves for their gender non-conforming ways or their sexual identity, or a God whose grandest desires are just for us to be good and feel good, or a God who is distant and uninvolved in issues of justice and oppression here on earth. Or a God who comes to earth as a blonde-haired, blue-eyed baby Jesus. Or a God who cares about us being holy, in the wrong sense that we mentioned earlier, of getting every single thing just right or else you're in trouble. Or a God whose agenda looks just like the people invading the Capitol on January 6th. Or a God whose agenda looks just like liberal activists. A God who's just like all the nations. There are certainly some, of course, who genuinely would have no interest in following Jesus, even if he were to be made known to them. Maybe the time isn't right. Maybe it never will be for them. But it's heartbreaking to know that so many are rejecting a false God because the people of God, God's representatives, have failed to make God known. This is something that's happened throughout the history of God's people. We've been looking at it in the Old Testament. We can see it happening today. It's happened all through the history of the church. But even so, it's heartbreaking and something for us to lament. As the people of God who are trying to make God known, to lament the ways that we have fallen short of that. The ways that we have made a false God known and sometimes continue to make a false God known. So that's what we did together as a community. Meredith led us through a time of lament of reflecting on how the church today is failing to make God known, what characteristics of God are getting lost, and then praying and asking God to do something so that God's name would be known, so that Yahweh would be made known to the nations. Let's be a community that is holy, not in the sense of trying to get every single detail right because otherwise we'll be in trouble, but in the sense of being set apart, of living according to the ordinances and statutes of a God who is not like all the others. So that the nations around us can see the true God, who is the source of life for us and for the world. Amen.